0: Shut up, and sit down. Back at it. Back in the studio. Back in the driver's seat. Hoping this audio is going to be a whole lot better than it has the past few episodes. Um, yeah, just try to get this thing right. Um, it's been a crazy couple of weeks, guys, but hopefully... I feel as if some of the dust has settled and we'll be able to get back into a, uh, a more refined routine going forward. But for now, you're tuned into, what is this, 103, episode 103, Quiet Part Loud podcast is what you're listening to. And, uh, and I'm here, as always. Who else is it going to be, right? Um, thanks for tuning in. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. Uh, if you're coming back, I appreciate all you savages that keep supporting us um like i said we're on episode 103 it is a absolutely abysmal day in london uh it's wednesday evening again back in the flow of things but uh but but we're feeling good we're feeling good the week's been crazy the week's been hectic busy the past few weeks have actually um which has thrown you know the schedule a little bit out of whack last week we had to record on the iphone which was not ideal a lot of background noise so anybody that tuned into that thanks for listening Um, uh, obviously trying to minimize that as much as possible and I think sometimes it might actually be better not to do a show rather than compromise the quality of the audio on a show but again just want to give you guys a heads up that I am revamping all the audio equipment we're going to get a lot better stuff uh, to record on mixed with um, and then obviously move towards video and and expanding this thing out so uh, so keep bearing with us but your support is is invaluable and uh, and I appreciate it tremendously. So thanks for listening. Um, if this is your first time tuning into the show, catch us on SoundCloud, catch us on iTunes, catch us on Spotify and wherever else you can get podcasts. It's pretty much uh, wherever, but those are our three main platforms. And then you can catch us on Twitter as well. Uh, just search at Quiet Part Loud, and you'll find us. You'll know it because we're the ones that are cutting through with the uh, the pretty harsh commentary around politics and <laughs> social uh, social events and whatever whatever else is hitting the news cycle. But um, you can check us out on there. That also informs some of the stuff that we might be talking about on up- upcoming episodes. So that's it. The like I said, the week's been crazy, uh, just with work and a lot of transitions that are happening there. Uh, personal life is. Is great but very busy Um, and everything's just been a bit hectic but like I said it's starting to clear it's starting to calm down but it's really great when you've got the ability to lean on certain things in your life that are that are staples that are you know the foundation of of kind of how you run your day-to-day life and the gym for me is is probably first and foremost you know after family Uh, But that is something that is on the calendar five days a week, and no matter what is happening, that stuff is non-negotiable. So I can always lean on my my health and my fitness and my exercise to present some normality, some routine, some structure when things get a bit chaotic around me. So thank God for that. Because without that, I think turmoil (laughs) would be the word of the day. And chaos would be the feeling of you know the day-to-day the way things have been but again you've got certain things that you can lean on certain foundations that you can always rely on and that helps just keep things in order and keep you ticking along and moving moving forward in the right way a lot of things can distract us and and take us away from the things that are most productive and the things that we care about most in life and over the past few weeks I've probably been consuming too much booze not a tremendous amount but more than I'm used to and that's definitely have an effect physiologically um, and somewhat mentally because I'm not sleeping as well but you know it's it's paying attention to your body it's paying attention to your routine it's paying attention to the things that either promote a healthy way of life or detract from it and those things that detract from it need to be recognized as such and removed And so I'm making those, I'm making those amendments. I'm making those changes. And there's nothing wrong with letting your hair down, you know, which is a bit of a weird statement coming from me because I'm bald as a baby's ass, but you can, you can always have fun and you should always have fun. But it's like the saying goes, everything in moderation, including moderation. And so when things get a little stressful, you need a little stress relief. And the gym does a lot of that for me, but sometimes it takes a little bit more. So I've overindulged in certain areas, a little bit with the food, a little bit with the booze. And, you know, uh, the the effects on the body are, are are obvious and they're immediate. So now I'm scaling it back. I've taken that. The dust is cleared. Things are settling down a little bit. I've recognized it for what it was. And you make those adjustments. That's how you move forward. That's how you keep progress happening. That's how you remain focused. And don't let the the obstacles and the distractions of the world become everything, right? Be on social media if you want to, but don't spend all day on social media or you'll fry your brain, right? Have beers, go out, have fun, but don't do it regularly or it will become your life. It will become primary and that's not a great place to be. So, I was making excuses, you know, it was stress related, but then I started making excuses for, you know, let's have a couple beers, it's not going to hurt you, do all this work, you know, you work out every day, and, you know, you, 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 you're, you're in pretty good shape, and you deserve it, right, justification of negative factors coming into your life. When it's, when it's so much more beneficial to say, no, I'm not going to go down that road, I recognize it for what it is, I'm going to stop it before it happens, and not a lot of people do that because it's hard to do that the momentum of stress will carry you forward on a wave that you're not even sure you're riding until that thing crashes down and you're a, you know you're at bottom and i'm not saying that this is a conversation about me hitting rock bottom because it's not anywhere close to that all i'm doing is identifying a slip i'm i'm identifying a blip in my focus and expressing the fact that i have recognized that and adjusted and amended it accordingly. And now we're right back on track baby. Because I'm still pressing through this. Workout routine and this exercise program. That I'm on now that I've been on for 10 weeks. And I'm feeling stronger than i ever been. I'm lifting more than I've ever lifted. I feel great. I'm starting to look great. All I need to do is control my diet. Knock this beer on the head. And stop snacking on bullshit. And things will be alright. But I'm not going to go militancy. We've talked about militancy versus discipline before on the show. And that's not being militant is not, it's not a way of generating consistency. It's a, it's a way of generating resentment and excuses for why not to do it. So you got to find that sweet spot. And I, and I thought I had, but then I went, I went a little bit farther than that and just things got out of hand. And I, and the reason I could tell and the thing that fucked me off the most was not the, the, the kind of interrupted sleeping or, you know, the, whatever just not feeling as positive all the time as I normally it wasn't that it wasn't that it was the fact that I was getting a little bit more bloated and if I'm going to the gym four five days a week and working out hard the last thing I want to do is blow that all down the toilet by eating some fucking potato chips you know it's just not the juice isn't worth the squeeze for a bit of pleasure in your mouth for a few seconds then you feel horrible and you start to get a little bit bloated. you know. If you do that a few days on the trot, then you're starting to compound the negatives. And it's just not something that I'm willing to give up. I'm not willing to give up all the hard work I've done over the past few years for a bit of stress relief. There are other ways you can do it that don't affect you the way that a negative, a bad diet, or excessive drinking will. So I just want to express it because that's really what this forum's about. It's about talking truth. It's about speaking truth to power. It's about being honest with ourselves and recognizing our faults, but also, more importantly, recognizing solutions. And the solution for this is just to take a bit of time, step back, look at the situation from from a macro view, from a bird's eye view, and say, what is going on here? What needs to be plucked out of this, completely removed, so that I can create equilibrium in my space again. And that's what we've done. So if anybody out there is having you know similar issues, if anybody's going through a bit of stress, take a step back for a second. Assess what is causing that negativity. Ex- you know, assess what is causing the change in behavior, your mood swings, your bad sleep, your lack of exercise, your lack of motivation to do anything extra. And anything that is a factor of negative, remove it it's the only way you it's only way you make a change you have to make structural changes not just attempt to make them or talk about making them i'm gonna work out yeah i'm gonna start working out next month i'm gonna quit i'm gonna quit smoking on new year's eve that's that's it my new year's resolution right and it's september well why not just do it now You've already recognized the thing that you need to pluck out. So why not do it now? Why are you waiting for three months? Why is that date so important to you? What's wrong with today's date? Why can you not get started on it right now? What is stopping you? Other than you, what's stopping you? And that's more the thing I wanted to talk about, right? Because it's all in your hands. You just have to have the strength of character to recognize it. Be honest with yourself about the true implications of having that negativity and being willing to make the sacrifice to remove them permanently if it is that negative if it's not then we go back to the moderation question how can you create balance in your life where you are being disciplined but not militant and that's different for everybody i'm just telling you what i've done i was drinking far too much beer A couple of nights a week. Or on the weekends. And it just wasn't doing anything good. It wasn't doing anything good. So we've knocked it on the head now. Am I going to go teetotal? Completely stone cold sober? No. Absolutely not. I'm going to have drinks. I'm going out on Friday. But then I won't touch anything the rest of the weekend. And then we go from there. And then setting rules for yourself. Like nothing during the week. So just on a Friday. Which is what I used to do. And then I let it creep in. So it goes back. And I used to have a problem with alcohol. So I'm acutely aware of where this roller coaster can go. And how deep this fall can be. And that is just not something that I'm willing to accept. It is no longer going to be something that has any control over my life. I'm in control. I decide what I do. I decide what comes into my body and what doesn't. I'm the keeper of this thing. And I am the ruler of this thing. So ultimately, I make the final judgment call on everything to do with what affects me. And you guys need to be the same way if you're not already. If you've got this dialed into a science, then you deserve a pat on the back because it's one of the hardest things to do. But if you can nail it and you can stay consistent with it, my God, the changes are incredible. So I just wanted to put that out there because... One of the things we haven't done a lot in the past little while is talk personally about you know things that affect us, things that motivate us, how we can correct mistakes, you know what motivates us, how we can pick ourselves up. and I want to get back to some of that. So I thought it was a nice way to open just to talk about some of the things that I've been going through in terms of things that have taken me off that 0.00 that complete equilibrium that center point right that zero point point. and so i hope that vibes with you guys and i hope if you are having any of these struggles or contemplations that you can find your way through the weeds get a bit of clarity and make the changes that you need to do but moving on swiftly from that we got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about we got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about today. There's been so much going on since last week. And one of the things I want... So, in my family, when I was very young, reading was a massive thing. I was reading very, very early. Books have always been a really important thing in my life. During my, you know, sort of late teens and 20s, I got away from that. And then in my late 20s, I, I rekindled my love with books and it's continued. I'm more into podcasts and listening to podcasts now. But that's really distracted from, from something that I love to do. And I need to get back into books a little bit more than I am right now. But this all came full circle when the news of Toni Morrison's death um, was reported. She died, I think, last week, late last week. And... She was 88 years old, and if you don't know Toni Morrison, but you are a fan of, you know, picking up a good book and reading, I would suggest The Bluest Eye as a great place to jump into the world of Toni Morrison, the talent of Toni Morrison, the beautiful, descriptive, insightful writing of Toni Morrison. Um, The Bluest Eye is is a book about a young black girl in the 1940s who is picked on and put down not only because she's black in a predominantly white community but also she has awkward mannerisms and she's not seen as particularly feminine and her the story revolves around her and I think her name is uh Choli uh Chula or something like that I can't remember off the top of my head um but effectively this girl is always wanting for blue eyes because she sees blue eyes as a significant as a as a signification of, of whiteness. And with whiteness comes acceptance and uh, opportunity and, you know, love and kindness and caring and all, all of these things. And the story progresses. I'm not going to go through the whole plot for you, but, <clears throat> you know, she's raped by her father, left pregnant, and then all of a sudden she gets her wish. She gets her blue eyes. And what she quickly realizes is it's not going to change anything and in fact what it is going to do is alienate you even more and there's a lot more depth to the story than I'm, that I'm I'm describing here but it is one of the best books I've ever read it's one of the most heart-wrenching stories I've ever read and it is a real it is a real indication of of the talent and the special qualities that you know Toni Morrison had as a human being because it's her first novel. You know, she went on to win a, a Pulitzer Prize. She went on to win a Nobel Prize for literature for, I think, Beloved. Um, but it's her first book. The Bluest Eye is her first book. And it is it is just incredible. So I recommend that. And, you know, when we lose literary figures or people who have actually provided value to this earth, I I don't mourn them, per se, because... I don't really have those feelings of mourning someone I don't know. But culturally, it is a loss, a massive loss. But she lived a great life. You know, she recognized fame and she was seen as a, you know, as a respected philosopher and, you know, someone who spoke the truth. So when we lose people like this, it's, you know, this is one of the good ones. You lose one of the good ones and it's always a sad day, you know. I don't feel the same sort of, emotion when a paul walker dies for instance you know although it's very sad and i feel for his family i don't feel any real personal connection to him because i'm not a fan of his work right like i'm not a fan of the fast and the furious i'm sure he was a great guy but i'm not going to be like oh my god no more paul walker in the fast and the furious it's sad that he died it's sad that he died in a horrific car crash but again it you know, it's different strokes for different folks, and and when we lose someone like Toni Morrison, like we, when we lost, you know, Stephen Hawking's, these are people that contributed properly, in my opinion, and maybe that's a really uppity, pretentious thing to say, but I don't feel like Fast and the Furious add a ton of things to our culture, and add a add a ton of things to the fabric of our society. They're good entertainment. They're, I guess, they're good. You know, for acting as a distraction piece for a couple of hours but they don't tackle tough social issues or tough scientific issues or you know what's you know what's a drain or what's a what what's a correction point in, in the fabric of our society I love people that delve deep into things like that um, so again it was just something that I wanted to put put out there as a as an RIP as you know as a, as a sad day as a sad day in the intellectual world, in the you know in the literary world, and you know it's it's sad, but she she was eighty eight and she lived a great life, so not a lot more that you can ask for than that. But if you haven't checked out any of Toni Morrison's work, I recommend you start with *The Bluest Eye* and go from there. Um, <laughs> what else is going on today? I mean, God, there's so much shit that's happened. Uh, I I kind of don't know where to start. I mean, we can talk about this Greta Thunberg, who we've mentioned on the show before. You know, she's sailing across the Atlantic right now in a sailboat, in a solar-powered boat with, like, no electricity on it, no carbon footprint to continue progressing her climate change activism and she's gonna be speaking at the United Nations, I think, in in a few weeks' time. I mean this journey that she's about to embark on takes two weeks. It's a little sixteen-year-old girl with Asperger's. What were you doing at sixteen that meant anything? Because the only thing I gave a shit about at sixteen was chicks and basketball and rap. That was it. I wanted I wanted all eyes on me to come out. I wanted you know, whatever whatever film I was into, you know, I was probably watching Menace to Society, or I was probably watching something like that, Dead Presidents, or something. And then I was just playing basketball with the delusions of making it to the NBA as a, you know, five foot ten skinny white dude from England who moved to Canada who'd been playing basketball for four years, <laughs> you know, uh, like those that was my life that was it i could even uh, my options were you're either going to be a rapper or a basketball player and i wasn't good at rapping at all (laughs) and i was only getting good at basketball then you know but you don't you don't get this perspective of the outside world um (laughs) when you're 16 like someone like greta thunberg does so if you don't know who greta is I suggest you have a look on her, search her Twitter, um, have a look at the, some, of the, some of the things that she's putting her name to. She is, she is the predominant force in the climate change discussion at the moment, globally. Nobody has raised more awareness, in my opinion, than this little girl uh, over the past year or so. And I know the boat ride is a PR stunt and and all of that. And she's probably going to have to fly home, you know, which is part of this protest of her sailing over. It's to cut our, our dependency on flying. Some of her ideas are practical. Some of her ideas are not. But again, we're dealing with a climate emergency that requires solutions to the size of the problem. And aviation is a massive problem in terms of carbon Uh, being dumped into the environment into the atmosphere they say one trip one flight I think what do they say one five hour flight on an airplane is the same as driving every day for a year by one person that's crazy to me it's absolutely bonkers so obviously we've got a massive climate change problem Obviously, politicians don't want to let go of the support they receive and give to the oil and gas industry. But when you've got someone like her standing up and saying, Hey, why aren't you listening? She puts it in very plain terms. And maybe that's because of her Asperger's. I'm not sure. But she's doing amazing things. And again, we need to stand up and support people like this. It's on a different level to the Tony Morrison stuff I was just mentioning, Right. Certain people contribute to this world and leave it better than they found it. And that is what I think this 16-year-old Greta Thunberg is trying to do. And she deserves all of our support in trying to accomplish her mission. And we should do what we can. But what I find hilarious is corporations that try to make superficial changes when they don't really give a shit about the problem. They're only doing it because it's a fad, because it's a hashtag, because it's getting a little bit of momentum and they don't want to be seen as the people or the companies or the brands that didn't adjust with the times, right? And I'll give you a perfect example. There's a company, if you're listening outside the UK, you may not know this chain. If if you're listening from inside the UK, you will absolutely know Costa Coffee. Costa Coffee was recently acquired by Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola are a horrendous company. We know this, right? They work off poison right? You drink Coke every day, you are increasing your chances of getting cancer, you know, having respiratory problems, diabetes, you name it, right? Coke is poison. The amount of sugar in a Coke should be illegal. Fucking full stop. So, digressing a little bit. Coca-Cola owns Costa Coffee. Costa Coffee have switched to paper straws, right? Great. Problem is, When you order a drink from Costa that has a paper straw in it, do you know what it comes in? Yeah. It comes in a single-use plastic cup. So what the fuck is the point? Please tell me. That is a superficial way of trying to say, we're part of the solution. We're corporate. We we have corporate uh, responsibility, social responsibility. We're on board with this climate change movement. We're We're doing... The paper straws. We're doing the paper straws. But I order iced Americanos, right? I drink black iced Americanos. That is my drink. I don't like hot coffee uh, from shops because the coffee tastes like shit. Um, So generally, when I I have a takeout coffee, it is a medium black Americano iced. That's not the way you order that, and I don't know why I said it. It's a, a black iced Americano medium right that's what i order i get a paper straw fantastic good for the environment completely be recycled if i recycle it but it's coming in a plastic cup and there's more plastic in the cup than there was in the straw so what are we actually doing here because in my opinion the only way you're going to get any movement on climate change is by getting these corporations to change the way they manufacture and package materials It's just that simple. And unless you do that, asking the general consumer to switch from plastic straws to paper straws is an asinine solution. Everybody can do their little bit, they say. Everybody can impact this thing in some way, shape, or form. Yes, you're right. I'm not arguing that. But what I am arguing is what I just said. We need solutions at the scale of the problem. And by replacing plastic straws with paper straws, but still, still serving the drinks in a single-use plastic cup is fucking ridiculous. And they should stop pretending like they give a shit because they don't. They're not going to make the changes necessary to change this problem we've got called climate change. Global warming. They're not going to do anything about it. They don't give a shit. Right, it was a fat a couple of years ago. Really exploded when they were like, uh, you know, sugar, sugar, sugar. Sugar's a poison. Sugar's a poison. That's kind of gone away a little bit now, but a couple of years back, it was sugar's poison. Sugar's poison. Look how many, look how much sugar's in a Coke. Look how much, you know, uh, sweetener is in a Diet Coke. So what they do? They brought out Green Coke, that had stevia in it. Didn't sell, right? didn't sell, they got rid of it. Um, Maybe you can still buy it. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen any adverts for it. I haven't seen it stocked in any of the shops that I've been into. And quite frankly, I don't drink their products anyways, which is why I'm almost done with Costa Coffee. But I need another takeout coffee provider that doesn't iced Americano the way they do. Because if you go to Starbucks, That's like having a cat shit in your mouth when you order their coffee. And if you get an iced version of that coffee, it's just like that cat was stuck outside in the cold for a couple hours, then came in and shat in your mouth. That's all it is. And talking to the plastic straws, this is fucking hilarious because Starbucks changed to to paper straws as well. Only problem with that, they're not even recyclable. So what are we talking about? We let these companies get away with not paying any corporation tax. We let these companies get away with, you know, hiding their profits and their cash reserves offshore in tax havens. We're not holding them accountable for anything. Yet, every commercial I see is how can you change? How can the individual change? Well, I'll tell you how the individual can change. Stop buying Coke products. Stop going to Starbucks. Stop buying anything from any company that wraps their food or their product in plastic. You gotta talk with your wallet. If you don't, it won't stop. It's as simple as that. That's the way we can affect change. But this needs to come from the top down. This needs to be a legislative issue. This needs to be something that we hold our politicians to account for so that they can then go to the heads of these corporations, these business leaders and say, hey, this is it, man. Your subsidies are gone. If you don't rapidly change the way you distribute your products, the way you wrap your products, the way you sell your products, either social responsibility is going to be at the forefront of your business policy or it's not. And if it's not, you get no benefits from us. We're going to go after the fact that you're not paying taxes or hiding your money offshore. We're going to look at how you pay your staff. We're going to look at how you trade, how you destroy natural resources in order to facilitate your products. Look at Unilever. As another one or Procter & Gamble as another one all your health and beauty products for the most part are them those two companies of course there's you know a couple others in there but those are the two big ones so when you go and buy palm olive that's in a plastic bottle that you're probably not going to recycle and probably not going to use with refills that's on you for supporting that company so until you do something about supporting that company the only other option is to have the government enforce it. And I hear all these people about saying, you know, government, keep your hands off our stuff, keep your hands off our consumerism, and, and keep your hands off our taxes, and keep your hands off of this, and keep your hands off of that. Well, who else is going to do it? Who else is going to do it? You ask the average person if they can stop buying frozen chips in a plastic bag from Iceland, or from Sainsbury's, or something like that, they're going to tell you to go fuck yourself. I'm looking at companies like Sky. I'm looking at companies like General Electric. I'm looking at companies like Unilever. I'm looking at companies like Procter & Gamble. These are the companies, Coca-Cola, Starbucks, Amazon. These are the companies that need to affect a change. These are the companies that need to put real policies in place. And if they don't, they need to be forced. So Greta Thunberg wasn't even on my list of things to talk about today. But it just kind of popped up and I thought, well... Okay, there's definitely some stuff to talk about here because she's doing amazing things. And I see people saying, whoa, whoa, fucking, what's she traveling in a boat for? What's that going to do? Shitting in a bucket on a boat. What's that going to do for climate change? It's going to send a message that she's consistent in. And that is, this is a major problem. And the people at the top of the pile are not making this world a better place for her generation or any to come after. And that should be unacceptable. So I applaud this young one because she's one of the good ones and you should all get behind her and support her in my opinion, you know, because you've got that on one side, right? And then you hear about the UK, for instance, importing things like chlorinated chicken from America. This is what the new trade deal looks like, by the way. Right? When we say we're going to leave the EU, we're, we'll be fine because we're going to sign such a massive trade deal with America. This is the kind of shit you're going to get. You're going to get chicken that's been treated with bleach. That's been kept in battery farm conditions. We don't have that in the UK. They do in Europe. Not as bad as America, but we're trading one bad for a worse. That's what we're doing right now. Trade deal with America. Get out of here. John Bolton was over here, right? Meeting with Boris Johnson. And they make this statement like, Oh, once Brexit's over, Once Brexit's over, everything's going to be fine. You can count on us. I don't trust anybody in that administration as far as I can throw them. They're all crooks. They're all warmongers. They're all hawks. I look at John Bolton's face and all I want to do is take a fucking baseball bat to it. Because he's the problem. He's a massive problem. So when I hear amazing trade deal with America, I think of all their terrible policies. And then them bringing those products over to the UK for us to consume. And I say, no thanks. No thanks. The quality of the poultry in this country is not great to begin with. You hear about this product being recalled and this product being recalled. There's Ebola in this or a coli in that or whatever the fuck. And we're gonna go down this route. It's crazy to me. So we're already importing chlorinated chicken from America. And the other hilarious thing, if that you know, if we're not, not willing to, you know, destroy our bodies enough. I saw this thing the other day. I don't know if you saw this. So, Chernobyl, that TV show that was on Sky, was amazing, right? Hardcore look at that disaster. But, of course, it sparks the online community, as smart as they are, to start becoming inventive. So, what have you got coming now to the UK? Another massive, massive import, right? Another game-changing import. These fucking morons are importing vodka... From Chernobyl. And apparently, whether this is PR or not, I didn't look into it because I'm not that interested. I'm definitely not buying it, so it's not going to affect me. But apparently, they're making this in the exclusion zone. And if that's true, the fact that this thing could even be imported is ludicrous. The fact that people would look at this and say, you know what, I'm going to get me some of that. That's my party fucking drink tonight. I'm having that. I'm going all night on the Chernobyl vodka. What are we talking about here? Is there anything that we can do to stop blatantly fucking ourselves over? It's just a question. It's just a question. Because it seems that every turn we are determined, in most instances, to do the thing that's going to fuck us up the most. Right? Right? Brexit, electing Donald Trump on a high level, bringing in chlorinated chicken on another level, bringing in vodka that's made in Chernobyl on another level. What are we doing here? (laughs) What are we doing here? It's just bonkers to me, you know? I don't know. I don't even know where I was going with that. Um, So... (laughs) Apparently, Bernie Sanders is going to tell us all about aliens if he gets elected. Somehow, I don't think that's going to be the thing that gets him over the line. In fact, I don't think the DNC, again, will let him over the line. I mean, look what they did to him in 2016. It was absolutely disgusting. All you got to do is check out the documentary that Michael Moore did called um, Fahrenheit uh, 11.9. Right? That's the new one. That's the new one. So uh, you see in there how they fucked Bernie at the Democratic National Convention. And it's just gross. But he was on Rogan. He was on the Joe Rogan podcast last week. And he and Rogan, the final question that Rogan asked him was, if you get president, if you become president, will you tell us about aliens and what they know about aliens? He's like, yeah, I'll let you know. Yeah. How does he sound? Uh, Joe No, that's that's Obama. Never mind. Not gonna do. Not gonna do the Bernie accent. Um, But yeah, he said he'll he'll let us know about aliens. Of course, he won't, because day one they tell you all that shit, and you're not allowed to say anything. So you know, nice try, Bernie. But that's definitely not happening. Um, And again, I don't think Bernie's gonna be the president, anyways. I don't even think he's gonna be the Democratic nominee. And I don't know if he should. I think I mentioned this on the podcast last time, but I think he should play like an integral part in the campaign or in the, uh, in the administration if the Democrats win. But I don't actually think he should be president. I think there's a better combination of president and VP uh, in the Democratic uh, roster than him. I love his policies. I love some of his policies for sure. Um, but I just think we need a massive shift and an old white guy is not going to be the one to do it right? We know that story already. So for me, and again, I think I mentioned this on the show previously, but I like Andrew Yang a lot. I also like Tulsi Gabbard a lot. And I also like Pete Buttigieg a lot. I think Pete Buttigieg is polished. I think he's articulate. I think he's intelligent. I think he's got strength of character. I think he's been through almost Every scenario you could hope for in terms of, you know, him being a mayor, him being a former um, former uh, serviceman uh, in Afghanistan, being a gay man who only recently came out, uh, you know, because he wanted to get married and he wanted to go dating. You know, the guy speaks like eight languages. He's he's a pretty incredible candidate, actually. And if you hear him speak, everything seems to be spot on. And I think he would absolutely run a train on Donald Trump. In any debate. Donald Trump could not keep up with Pete Buttigieg on anything. Let's get that 100% clear. Donald Trump is an idiot. Okay, He knows how to be a crook. And he knows how to lie. And he knows how to do what he needs to do for himself. And that is it. He goes up against a guy as articulate, well-rounded, and experienced as Pete Buttigieg. And he'll get... He'll get fucked right in the ass by this man, and I don't mean that as like a gay pun. I don't mean that as like anything insensitive. I just mean he'll get he'll get a train run on him. Pete Buttigieg will run circles around him. So I like I like Pete Buttigieg. I like Andrew Yang because he seems like the kind of non politician you'd actually want. But I don't know if I want him in the top job. Again, it may be something where he's part of the administration or. <clears throat> something like that, but what I would like to see is I would love to see a Pete Buttigieg and uh, Tulsi Gabbard take it. I think that would be powerful. A couple of ex-military, um, you know, really diverse backgrounds, really focused on ending these, you know, no-limit wars and things like that. Just really, really sensible policies. And the way that Tulsi took down Kamala Harris was just a thing of beauty. To which we still haven't had any sort of clarity on Kamala Harris owning up to her record. And I think what you're seeing is the light sort of dim a little bit with Kamala Harris. I don't think she's got the staying power because I think her record is too fucked up. And I think she's going to get called out on it. And that makes her vulnerable. Of course Trump couldn't go after her about anything to do with race. And she could fire back on that. But that could become a very one dimensional argument and I don't think that's going to get it done which is why I like Pete and Tulsi as the ticket because they run on real issues that are far and wide they cover the breadth of the issues that America is facing and they have seemingly solutions for a lot of them or at least proposals to tackle the problems and that's great and that's why I like Bernie because he's got real proposals Right, he does math on it Andrew Yang, that's why I like him because he's done the math on his um, on his freedom dividend his universal basic income uh, proposal these are important things but we'll see but there's always that nugget there that if Bernie gets elected we might see some shit about aliens we might find out what Area 51's all about but I highly doubt it um, what else are we talking about what else are we talking about I met my friend uh, this weekend uh, with his wife. Me and my wife went. Uh, we, they came over to the house briefly, and then we went out to the park and down to the village for something to eat. And the reason for the visit was they had a baby like seven months ago. We haven't met the little fella yet, so they came down. We had some presents for him. We grabbed something to eat. You know, grabbed a beer in the park, lovely a couple hours. Um, but it just got me thinking. I always, I always start to think this when when I'm around people who have kids. Because I think I'd be a great dad, but I don't really have an interest in having children. Some days I do, but I'm a, big, I'm, I'm a big believer of holding the viewpoint that if you're on the fence about having children, that should be a hard no. It is not something that you should be mm, kind of about. Like I kind of want kids and I kind of, I'm kind of not sure. I think if you play in that space, the answer is no, because it's far too big a responsibility for you to be contemplating. You should be all in with the decision to have a baby or not. But I just wondered because I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be 38 this year. And I just wondered like, is there ever a good time to have kids? People always say it's never, it's never a good time, right? But once they come, it's the Greatest blessing in the world. I don't really share those feelings because, like, I love playing with kids. I love, like, you know, hanging out with the babies and, like, making them laugh and then handing them back to their parents and then having my own time. I'm very selfish with my own time. It's already stretched far enough. And I just feel that adding another human being that then becomes a lifetime responsibility effectively is. I don't know if it's something I'm willing to dive into. Now, of course, if my, if my wife was adamant about it, I would, I, would, I would give it a further, deeper consideration. But I truly believe if you're on the fence about it, it should be a hard no. <coughs> because that's only responsible. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of giving kids back to their parents and then coming home, smoking some weed, and chilling out with my dogs and my wife. And my cats. That's cool. But one of, the, one of the worst sounds in the world to me. Like I can't stand. Like I have a really anxious dog. Right? And whenever he thinks we're going out for a walk. Or if I'm taking him to the vet. Or whatever. He starts to shake. And he starts to yelp. And that yelping is one of the most grating sounds I've ever experienced in my life. It is infuriating. Because you can't get him to stop. Because it's based on his anxiety. He starts to freak out and nothing can stop him. So you have to learn an incredible amount of patience to stop yourself from screaming. Shut the fuck up with the barking. And sometimes I'm good at it and sometimes I'm not. But with a baby, that's child abuse. <laughs> you can't scream at a baby like that. You know, you can't ignore a baby like that. And I just, I just don't know if I'm willing to give up my time to go through that process. So it was just a question that I wanted to pose. Like, is there ever a good time? Like, yeah, if I had half a million quid in the bank and I knew that that baby was going to have their college paid for and their deposit for their house and... I could pay for their wedding and set them up with their first car and take them on vacations and give them all the extracurricular activities to develop their potential like, you know, piano lessons and sports and, you know, so on and so forth. And I could potentially do that because I know people with kids who make a lot less money than I do and they seem to be making it. But if you look into their eyes, there is joy momentarily, which is overcome by stress and exhaustion, and just defeatedness, and I just don't want that. I don't want that. So maybe it's just the time's not right. You know, people are having babies much older now, but one thing I don't want is I don't want my wife to regret it, and I don't want to regret it, but we talk about it, and it always just seems like an on-the-fence decision. Like, if it's one of those things, it's one of those things that, like, if it happens, it happens, but we're not going to actively You know, we're not gonna, um, I don't wanna get too graphic here, but we're not gonna actively try. We actively try all the time. We practice, but we don't try, if that makes sense, right? We're always practicing. We're always practicing, but we're not trying to have a baby. And I think if it's something that just happened, a little mistake or whatever like that, then okay, like we're not gonna go have an abortion right if we fuck up the baby's coming for sure we're we're financially capable of raising a baby it's more that selfishness of time but i wonder if i'm ever going to grow out of that i don't see it maybe it'll happen i don't know what do you guys think what else do we want to talk about today we're going all over the place we're going all over the place but it's good it's good right so oh yeah that's what i wanted to talk about <coughs> So, this is for the guys. I don't know how many female listeners we have. That's why I'm thinking about changing hosting providers because I'm not getting the analytics from SoundCloud like I should do. Um, and I'm on a premium service with them. So, I just think there's better options out there. So, I think when my term is up, we're going to change hosting platforms. I'm going to go with like Podbean or something that give a lot deeper level of analytics. But the point is, I don't know how many of my listeners are men and how many listens, listeners are female. And I need that information, right? So, this one's more for the guys, who I suspect are the vast majority of the listeners out there, right? So anyways, cutting through. Y'all know Mia Khalifa, right? Mia Khalifa. You know who she is. The porn star, right? The retired porn star. Now, she came onto the scene like a motherfucker. Everybody was up in arms, this, you know, this, uh, this, this, this hour of, uh woman or even if she is i think she's i think she's like uh, afghani or, or or iranian or something like that i don't even fucking know it doesn't matter but she appears to be you know uh muslim right she she appears to be middle eastern okay cool so when you get a porno with a middle eastern woman dressed up like a fucking like like a full-on muslim with the hijab and everything like that and she's getting a train run on her that's quite salacious, right? Even in terms of porn. Right? So she came bursting onto the scene and was was famous as fuck, right? Doing all the scenes, doing all the scenes, right? The BBCs and the gangbangs and whatever. And then she was out. And she retired. But not before kind of getting herself a name for 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 calling out guys that would try to slide in her DMs, like pro athletes and shit, they'd be like, "Yo, let me, <laughs> yo, let me run up in there real quick and let me let me let me show you what I've got." You know, she would just blast it out and she would put it, which I didn't like. I thought that was really, really kind of, I don't know, it's a bit cheap, right? But what are we talking about here? So, anyways, you know who I'm talking about. You've seen who I'm talking about. You've watched her work. There's plenty of her work out there. Did you know? That she was only in the industry for three months. Because when I heard this news. It was a real shock to me. Because I thought she was in at least a couple of years. Especially the volume of work (laughs) that she's got. So I thought no. Three months? Like 12 weeks? She was in porn for 12 weeks? What's even more shocking than that. Is that it's just come out. That she made 12 grand in total from her porn career. That's how much she got paid. Now, I don't know who negotiated her contract on her side, but they fucked up massively, right? Because I hear about girls getting two, three, four grand, depending on what they're doing, what they're performing, per video, right? So that's almost like per day that you could knock one of those out. Clean it up, put some ice on it, take the swelling down a little bit, get that pussy right again, and come back for more. Right? You can be prolific, and she was prolific, but twelve grand in three months seems like nothing. It seems, it seems like well, it's, it's a thousand dollars a week, and I don't know. Again, who negotiated her contract? But that, to me, I'm not an expert in porn contracts or anything, but that seems super fucking low. But the hilarious thing about this is she admits that she only made 12K after three months of her porn career. But what was funny in the interview to me was like, oh, my God, I'm having a real hard time getting in back into the job force, back into the workforce Because I've got this huge gap in my resume, and have to explain it, or they already know who I am? Oh, I'm sorry Mia, but you didn't think that porn was going to affect your post-porn career? You can't really be that dumb. I don't know if there's ever been a bigger, no-shit Sherlock moment. I mean, look at her catalog of work for 12 grand and now she can't get a job I mean I don't know what she's qualified to do I don't know her bio I don't know her you know her educational history or credentials I don't know any of that I'm just saying no shit it makes it hard to get back into work if the guy interviewing you was jerking off to you the, the, the very same morning can you imagine if you saw Mia Khalifa on a CV as you're interviewing for like a sales job or like a I don't know what kind of fucking work she's going for but who, whatever it is. And you see Mia Khalifa, or it's and maybe that's not even her real name, and it's just whatever, but then she walks in. Every guy, I I almost I, I would venture that almost every single guy, because every guy watches porn, right? That, that's we can just call that what it is. That's an absolute. I don't, I've never met a guy that doesn't watch porn. And I would imagine if they're anywhere between my age and 25. They know who she is. And fuck that. Even younger. Right? Let's go all the way back to 16. They probably know who she is. <clears throat> Some people, like myself, would be in a position to potentially hire her. And there is a very good possibility that that person that's looking to hire someone has watched her films. Or at least her clips on Pornhub. What are you supposed to do with that? Do you hire her? Well, if her qualifications are right, but what qualifications does she have? She is synonymous with getting fucked on camera. And is that something that you want as part of your business? Is that something you want to attach your reputation to, your brand to, whatever? But for her to be like, I just, I, I just can't believe it. I just can't believe it. I can't get a fucking job. I can't get a job. I know one job you could get that you're really pretty fucking good at, actually, what you were doing for three months, but hey, let somebody else renegotiate your contract if you go back down that road. Good for her for trying to get out, but I like people like Jenna Hayes. Jenna Hayes was in the game for a hot minute, but then she came out. She made a couple million uh, dollars from porn. She's now produces it. She now does photography. I think she's in the weed game a little bit. Diversification. She went in for a smash and grab, got pounded out for 12 weeks by God knows how many people, and now she's looking for a fucking 9 to 5. And it's like, "Well, sorry. Actions have consequences." And as much as I don't mind, like I don't look at I don't watch Mia Khalifa uh, uh whenever I delve into Pornhub <laughs> every day. Um but um She's not one of my favorites. She's not one that I would like actively seek out. She doesn't really do it for me. Her nipples are super fucked up. It looks like her nipples have been taken off to do the breast implant that way. Really, really weird. Um, So it was more the shock factor, I think, around Mia Khalifa and her kind of fame and notoriety in porn. But I'm not surprised she can't find a fucking job. I wouldn't hire her. I'm just saying. Imagine her going out and hosting clients. Imagine her running a learning session or a PowerPoint session or selling you medical products or whatever job she's gonna do. She walks in the jo- she walks in the door to a male who might. There is a good chance that either that morning or some point in his life has beaten off to this woman. How are you gonna hire her? How are you going to hire her? Is it fair? Eh, probably not. But is it real? Yes, it is. Is it realistic? And is it realistic to expect a person to have a problem hiring someone who is known absolutely and 100% for their career in porn? I don't think so. I think that is completely normal. So good luck to her in the job search. We might be hiring if she fancies to move into the UK. But... There's a good chance that that recruitment effort is going to get blocked, and I wouldn't be surprised if many, many other recruitment efforts get blocked. But that said, she'll probably end up being a rep for some media company or some social media person or whatever the fuck they'll find a place for. Her, right? She just has to keep plugging away, keep pounding away, as it were. Um, but I, the most shocking thing about this for me is not that she can't find a job after she's been getting you know DP'd for three months. The the crazy thing for me is that she only made twelve grand. How does that even happen? I mean, that's like four movies, right? That's like four films. So, I don't know if I'm going to put her in charge of anything that has to do with revenue generation. Because she doesn't seem like she's that savvy with her business skills. Is all I'm saying. So, anyways. Moving on. So, I think enough bullshitting around I think because we're almost at an hour and I'm trying to keep these things to about an hour but part of me says you know what fuck fuck off I'm gonna do the show that I want to do and I'm gonna do it as long as I want to do it and people who like it will listen and people who don't won't I, I oftentimes read articles about optimizing your podcast and growing your podcast and what best practices are and what, you know, what you should avoid and so on and so forth, right? And I think if you listen to everybody, you, you, you truly don't make your own decisions. And I think you have, to, you have to curate information. You have to curate knowledge. You have to curate an understanding about the industry you're in definitely. And you have to take advice from people who have come before you 100%. We all step on the shoulders of giants, right? That's the, that's the kind of thing, right? People lay the foundation so we can do what we do. I get it. But often things are way too prescriptive. Oftentimes, you know, the advice given doesn't fit what you're trying to do. And I think I've fallen into that trap a little too much. Now, that's not to say that you guys are going to start getting two-hour episodes because I don't think that's the way forward either. But if I go over an hour, I don't think there's any point of trying to shorten my content and shorten the way I talk to you guys or speak and interact with you guys just to stay under a certain time limit. If it goes over that, that's because we've got shit to say. If we don't, we're not gonna talk about it. We're gonna cut the episode, right? We're gonna finish when we need to finish. But sometimes we have got more stuff to talk about. Sometimes we wanna dig a little bit into the nuance of things. Sometimes we wanna elaborate on things and give examples. And maybe that takes more than 40 minutes. So what? So if you guys like it, that I'm going over an hour, great, let me know. But I'll know one way or another because I'll get listens and I won't. Or I won't. But I have to stay true to me. And oftentimes my shows will go over an hour. Not a lot, but sometimes they will. Like they're about to today. So I'm not going to finish the show without talking about this. Because it's one of the most important things that's come up in a long while. And I'm talking about the Jeffrey Epstein situation. And if you guys don't know anything about this, I suggest you turn on the news. In fact, don't even turn on the news because the news cycle is so garbage right now. Go and investigate some of this stuff for yourself. Because it is deep and it is dark and it is sinister. So I talked about Jeffrey Epstein when he was uh, arrested a few weeks ago. Jeffrey Epstein is a convicted... uh, uh, sex trafficker, or he's not a convicted sex trafficker, he's a registered sex offender. But basically, back in the day, 2004, something like that, he caught a case after a 13-year-old or 14-year-old girl told her stepmother that she'd been brought to Epstein's house to perform a massage on him, but then was told to get naked, and was paid $300 for her services. But then was recruited back and, you know, other people that she knew were recruited in young girls and so on and so forth. The stepmom went to the FBI, the FBI launched an investigation. Jeffrey Epstein was found to have had over 18 cases of people coming into his house, <clears throat> many of which were underage girls, and he was subsequently arrested. However, he was given a a very favorable, to say the least, plea deal that saw him with an 18-month sentence of which he got to spend six days a week out of jail working. So he was in his office or he was in his mansion or whatever, only to return home, uh, return to the jail and spend the evenings there. Okay, so the person that uh, gave him this plea deal was... uh, Was it Steven Acosta? Something like that. Alex Acosta? Something like that. Last name's Acosta. Anyways, he was the Labor Secretary for the Trump administration. He's recently resigned amid all this uh, resurfacing. Because what's happened now, and we'll go into all of it. What's happened now is the uh, files have been reopened. He's been rearrested on 40 counts of human trafficking. Uh, soliciting underage girls for sex, and a whole bunch of other things, conspiracy, etc., etc. Right? So he got locked up. They arrested him at the airport and got locked up. Hit a cellmate, who apparently got, who they got along. Um, this big hench motherfucker who was an ex-cop that was in jail, same jail as him, um, for murdering four people. So really nice guy. If you see a picture of this Taglioni guy, he is a Bucking monster. Anyways, apparently they got along really well and apparently he was the one that called the guards to assist when Jeffrey Epstein first tried to kill himself after being locked up the second time. Okay. So after he was brought back from the hospital, he was put into solitary confinement, apparently suicide watch, uh, and Even there, he was given a cellmate, and that's presumably to kind of keep an eye on him, but with suicide watch, they're supposed to check on you every 30 minutes, right? Supposed to have psych evaluations pretty much daily to assess that you're not going to try to kill yourself going forward. And obviously this is quite a sensitive case because the nature of the case is that Jeffrey Epstein was somehow a financier who hung around with the most influential people in the world, the most powerful people in the world. And what's come to light is that he was using these young girls in not only only exploiting them for his own pleasure, but he was passing them around his wealthy friends, right? And these girls range from 14 to 20, but the point is, he was passing them around. Furthermore, there were video cameras all around his houses. So he was filming these famous people doing these disgusting things with these underage girls. Okay, so a couple of days ago, he was found dead, unresponsive, <coughs> in his jail cell. The cellmate, I don't know why I said solitary confinement earlier, because I don't think he was in solitary confinement. He was on suicide watch, which is which is different. But he had a cellmate, but apparently on the day that he committed suicide, his cellmate wasn't there, the guard wasn't there, and they were on some sort of a changeover, or they were short-staffed, or something like that, right? Perfect storm. But that's where the questions start. Because if he's on suicide watch, how in the fuck does he have anything that he can hang himself with? Because presumably that's how he died. He hung himself. How do you hang yourself if you're on suicide watch? How do you hang yourself when you're supposed to have guards checking on you every 30 minutes, when you're supposed to have a cellmate, when all those things are removed? You still should not have the means to hang yourself if you're on suicide watch. So how does this happen is question one. Is it convenient that nobody buys this shit as an excuse? Nobody thinks he killed himself. Everybody thinks he was murdered. Okay. Why? Because of the connections that he had. Because the secrets that he knew. Dead men don't tell secrets. Right? So, one theory is that he was clipped by the powers that be. He ran in circles with Donald Trump. There's video of them oogling over girls. You know, young girls and so on and so forth. He ran in powerful, powerful circles. And... Maybe somebody didn't want him to talk. There's another theory, which I heard yesterday. And I think it's one of the most interesting theories, actually, about what potentially happened to him. And that is, based on questions surrounding his wealth, his access, his power, the fact that he had a private island, the fact that Wexler, who owned... Amongst many other things, Victoria's Secret, who bought him a seventy million dollar penthouse, or let him gave him his seventy million dollar penthouse, or what whatever that was, but nobody really knows where his cash was accumulated from because apparently he was worth a couple of billion dollars. Um, he was a he was a professor, but he didn't have a degree. Um, he again had his own private island, his own private jet. But nobody really knows where his finances came from, how he established his wealth. And the theory that I heard yesterday, which was quite interesting, was that potentially he is a foreign agent. Someone that's working for the Israeli government or the Israeli special forces or something like that. Because on his private island, he has a a synagogue, right? That's painted in the uh, same colors as the Israeli flag. And I wonder if he was sent in there by someone like Israel to develop these relationships with super powerful people to put them in compromising positions so that they could be then blackmailed for influence and for policy purposes by the Israeli government and when he got caught and arrested it's the whole kamikaze mission it's the, well, I've done my work The evidence is there. The people that need to have the evidence in terms of whoever I'm working for have what I had, which is all this compromising information. So my job is done. What I'm not going to do is sell my contractors down the river. So rather than that, I'll kill myself. And maybe that was facilitated by somebody on the inside. Now we're creeping into the conspiracy theory side of things here, but I don't think it sounds outside the realms of possibility that this could have been facilitated. The guards weren't there. His cellmate wasn't there. He wasn't being watched when he was, when he was on suicide watch, supposed to be having 30-minute checkups and, and daily psych evaluations. Then all of a sudden, this suicidal motherfucker has nobody looking in on him, and he's got the means to hang himself so it's a bit fishy in terms of how it all happened and why it all happened but i think there's i think there's two theories that can play one is the influence and he was murdered because he knew too much he was going to speak to maybe you know lessen his sentence or he's contracted by somebody to be you know, let's call it a spy. Let's call it an influencer. Whatever you, you want to call it. And he'd done the work. So time's up. And you have to fall on your sword for the cause. So that those ultimate secrets of how this whole thing originated doesn't come to light. But it's a really, really interesting one. And apparently the FBI, whoever's doing the investigation, have found a ton of information. A ton of hard drives with videos and photos and whatever else. But the the thinking is that some of this information they have, and apparently they found another one that's bigger than the first trove of information that they found, is that he might have had his private plane rigged with cameras and audio. And one of the things about that is the fact that Bill Clinton was on his plane no less than 26 times over the course of their relationship. Where the fuck was he going? Why were they hanging out so frequently? And what does he have on him? And that goes towards the murder part of this. Right? But it also plays to the extortion side of this theory as well. Israel has so much influence in the United States. Nobody in policy, nobody in in a position of power that is part of the political machine ever criticizes Israel. It is automatically determined to be anti-Semitic if you say anything bad about the Israeli government, any of their policies, the way they treat the Palestinians, or anything else. They have enormous power and enormous influence in the U.S. And I wonder if these are some of the ways in which they've achieved that. So, all we're doing now is just waiting and seeing what comes out but people like prince andrew the queen's son has been implicated and apparently there's images of him with his arms around this accuser and one of the one of the main accusers who was 14 at the time there's a picture of them very very cuddly apparently so that could just be the tip of the iceberg and i imagine that it probably is so it's very much a Watch this space type of scenario. Where we're just waiting to see what fallout comes. But. We don't know the reason. Or the how. For the suicide. Or the murder. We just don't know that and probably never will. All we can count on now. Is the fact that they're going to continue this. Continue this investigation. To try to get co-conspirators. And other people of power involved. And you know Donald Trump wants this. And you know he wants Barr to put all his resources into this because if there's a chance that he could fuck over Bill Clinton, he is going to do it as much as possible. To the nth degree, he's going to do it. Because as a consequence, he would also be fucking over Hillary, which make him a very, very happy man. But he also needs to be very, very careful because there's multiple videos of him hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein and we know what kind of piece of shit Donald Trump is and we know how he likes to fuck around. But whether or not he's into young girls is another story. But the incriminating evidence on these powerful people could be so far and wide because the person that accused Prince Andrew also accused a Maryland senator, also accused a prime minister. So all of these things, you know, they might not even get released. We might not even know about this as the investigation goes on. But whatever we do find out is going to be super interesting. And this is one of those dark motherfucks. It is one of those, it is one of those poll The curtain back and have a look have a look at the inner workings have a proper look at how the upper echelon the most powerful the most influential the richest actually operate because they don't look at people as people they look at people as commodities they look at people as things to use how they want to use them and this is case in point with that and if you've got men and this is all men other than Epstein's woman, who was apparently the mistress and the madam that recruited these girls, the clientele are all men. You can bet your ass on that. This is not a female issue. This is a male issue. And when you get powerful men, the type that are billionaires, leaders of countries, leaders of corporations, the top, 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 top folks in the world, they are atypical. They are psychopaths. They are sociopaths. And they don't look at people as you know, individuals with feelings and individuals that can be hurt. They're there for their pleasure, for their usage, and for their disposal when they're done with it. That's how guys at that level operate. They operate on a self-serve basis, especially when they acquire that power. So they don't give a fuck about any of these girls. They don't give a fuck about the damage they've done. All they care about is getting caught or not. And they thought they were bulletproof. Because they were either feeding Epstein cash or providing him influence and authority, whatever it may be. But now the house of cards is falling down, and I'm very, very interested to see what comes out of this whole thing. So stay tuned, watch this space, and uh, and we'll update accordingly. But that was the last thing that I wanted to talk about today, and uh, and wrap this wrap this show up before it gets a little long in the tooth. So. We're going to peace out, and we'll be back next week. It's Wednesday night now, so this will be out with you guys on Thursday morning. Uh, so download that for your little ride to work or wherever you may find yourselves. Again, you can get us on SoundCloud. You can get us on Spotify, and you can get us on iTunes. You just have to search The Quiet Part Loud podcast. and It'll pop right up. You'll know it because you found it already, and that's why you're listening um but it's the little coffee cup on the table with the steam rising from it uh that's our logo that's on everything that we do and you can hit us up on twitter which is at quiet Part loud so hit us there as well and uh, and we'll be back next week to do this thing all over again and hopefully the audio quality is a lot better than it was on the last couple of episodes and we can stick to this script and the schedule that we've been you know that we've been pumping out for the past few months so um so that's it from me i hope you guys have a great weekend and uh and stay dry if you're in london Otherwise, have a great time and uh, and we'll see you next week. This is the Quiet Part Loud podcast. You've been listening to episode 103, which still makes me smile and, and a bit puzzled how we got here. But nevertheless, I appreciate you guys listening. And uh, like I said, we'll be back next week to do it all over again. So until next time, guys, all the best.